If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 122 this morning. Psalm 122. Uh, As you guys know, we've been on this journey through the Psalms of Ascent. Um, we uh, past few weeks, we've been talking about the Psalms of Ascent and what those are. We, we've realized that these are the, the pilgrims playlist as they would gather together to head to Jerusalem. These are the songs that they would sing on their way and sing as they arrived. Um, last week, we got to see um, Brother Johnny bring a word about God's people um, when they live in an ungodly place. How do we deal with that and how do we cry out to the Lord in the midst of that? And as we come this morning, we come to, the, to Psalm 122. And as we do, I have a question for you. Uh, anybody in here busy? Anybody busy? Does anybody have anything going on in life? Uh, I would say a lot of us do, right? We're all busy in some form or fashion. We've all got families that are busy, whether it's ball games or, or school activities or, or family gatherings. We're all busy as families. Our jobs have us busy. Some of us end up having to work more than eight hours a day. Sometimes it's nine, ten hours in a day and end up working 40, 45, maybe even 50 hours in a week to make things work. Our church is busy. This June has been packed. We've had something every week, it feels like. Um, Whether it's youth camp or recovery from youth camp and preparation for children's camp, children's camp next week, VBS the day after. We don't have a day uh, between um, this Tuesday And like July, that our church is not doing some kind of um, outreach ministry. It's a busy time for our church. And busyness is just one of the few things that makes gathering with God's people hard. If we're honest, our busyness makes gathering together on a Sunday morning hard. And we could list a plethora of other things that make this time, this Sunday morning gathering, difficult to make it to. And sometimes Sunday mornings roll around and you roll out of bed and it's just hard to get pumped up and get excited to come and gather together again. And our psalm today is going to, we're going to find in our psalm today, it's going to express the the opposite of that feeling. He's going to start off talking about how glad he is that he can come to the Lord. Today we find David, he's writing about gathering with God's people in Jerusalem and how he's bursting with gladness about the worship in, uh, about worshiping the Lord in his house. So let's actually go to this psalm and read it, and then we're going to break down how uh, our sermon's going to go this morning. Psalm one twenty two. We're going to read all of this psalm real quick. It says Psalm one twenty two, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, "Let us go to the house of the Lord." Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. These throne, uh, their, their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towns or towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. Let me pray before we start. 
Father, we come before you and we thank you for this word that you've given to us. God, we pray that you give us wisdom and eyes to see as we read this psalm. God, I pray that you would help us to see the, the, the benefits of gathering together with your people and the responsibility that comes along with that as well. God, we pray that you would use this psalm to give us guidance and motivation as we gather together week in and week out with your people. We pray that it would speak to our hearts and give us uh, a, a desire to be with you and to be with your people. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. amen. So this psalm is, in some sense, an idealistic picture of what it's like to gather with God's people. As we said, we, we said sometimes that our busyness and our lives makes it difficult to gather. But then David comes along and he's like, man, I'm, I'm pumped to go to church. I'm pumped to go and gather with God's people. And I think this is supposed to be uh, an idealistic picture of what it's like when people gather together, what it's like to, to finally arrive at that place where God is calling us to. And we see in it some benefits uh, of gathering, and then we also see some responsibilities of gathering. And so in this passage, David, when he speaks of traveling to Israel, he speaks of the city of Jerusalem. He speaks of being in God's presence with God's people. But how are we today supposed to interpret this, right? As we see this, it's speaking specifically of a city, a city that exists today. We could get on a plane and go to that city. So as we read this, are we, are we supposed to go there? Does this psalm speak to us to say, hey, once a year we need to make a pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem to gather with God's people there? How are we supposed to interpret this? Well, I think it would be wise for us to not, since we're, we're on this side of the cross, as we look and we see what this passage meant for the original readers, I think it'd be unwise for us to look at this and see uh, this is some kind of reason for us to um, travel to Jerusalem or to even necessarily support Israel in things. I don't think this is a passage that says, hey, we need to be praying for peace in Jerusalem, all that, although that is a good prayer to pray. Also, I don't think we need to be looking at this and thinking, hey, we need a, a new Jerusalem, a new Israel, a new country that's, that's in God's name. Uh, this applies to our country, America. I don't think that's the wisest way to look at this. I think that the, that the way that the Lord um, sets for us in the Bible, how we should look at this passage and interpret it would be this, that we should look to it as the importance of God's people gathering together. And that today looks like the church. Today, the church is where people gather together, the people of God gather together to worship together, to be in God's presence in a special way that comes along with great benefits and also great responsibilities. So we're going to kind of look at these two things in parallel. We're going to say, what does it look like for um, the Israelites to go to Jerusalem each year? And then we're also, in the, at the same time, we're going to say, well, what does it look like for us to gather with God's people each week? All right. So first thing that we see from this passage is that there's a, a gladness that comes. Number one, there's a gladness that comes with gathering with God's people. David speaks here of being glad from that very first word. He says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's a gladness that comes along with gathering with God's people. And again, David's speaking of this idealistic picture of what it's like to gather with God's people. And he's writing from an individualistic perspective and a corporate perspective, right? He says, I was glad when they said, let's go to the Lord. He is an individual who's part of a body of people that's going up to Jerusalem. And remember, this is David that's speaking. So David actually would have lived in Jerusalem. So he probably didn't make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem often. And some, some people might see this and say, 
hey, how is David writing this? Because number one, David didn't build the temple. The temple wasn't there. And number two, David probably wouldn't have been traveling. He lived in Jerusalem. And anybody who's ever written a song or read or, or listened to a song or a poem realizes sometimes you write a song or a poem from somebody else's vantage point. Right. David's writing this psalm in such a way that the people who would be traveling to Jerusalem to gather in that capital city, that important place, would be able to think and and be glad and and resonate with. I'm glad that we're going to gather with God's people and I'm glad that we're finally here because he says not only are they glad that they they, they're gathering there, they're glad that they're he's worshiping in the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord, with a place where people would gather for worship. And not just are they gathering at the, at, the, at the house of the Lord. He's speaking of being in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be the, the capital city. It would be the center of everything for the Israelites, um, both politically and religiously. Um, those two things were completely mixed in, in David's day. And for the Israelites, those, those two things, there's not a separation of church and state idea in Israel, it's all one thing. So Jerusalem not only is, is the nationalistic uh, place that they would go to say, hey, it's like they're Washington, D.C., the place that represents their nation. It also represents their religion. It represents their nearness to God and God blessing them with that. So when they're celebrating Jerusalem, they're celebrating the fact that God has provided a country and a nation for them where they can draw near to him and be in his presence together. And notice David makes the point of saying, our feet have been standing within your gates, Jerusalem. Now, those words coming off the tongue of any Israelite, especially David, the king, a man who had to literally fight to have that place, to have that city, that would mean something. He's saying, our feet have been here. We're finally in the place that was promised to us all the way back in, in, in Abraham saying, I'm going to give you a place I'm going to bring you and make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a nation. Those things are finally coming to fruition. And David's looking and saying, I'm here. We're standing in the place that God wanted us to be in. Of that longing for it and then finally being able to be there. And so as David is saying this and and speaking about how glad he is to do this, he's doing that out of the realization that that wasn't always the case. He wasn't always able to gather in that city of Jerusalem and to be united with people. That wasn't always the case for David. And as they look back um, in their their nation's history, and even as we look forward into this nation's history, these pilgrims who would be singing this again hundreds of years after David are people who would have been in exile, who would have been taken up from Israel again, taken out of their spot, taken to Babylon, and who finally got to return a generation later, they again would be saying, we're gathering in Jerusalem again. This is a blessing for us again. We were far from God and now we're close to him again. And finally being arriving in their home in that place that God would want them to be. So as we think about us and our gathering together, uh, as, as Israel will be traveling to Jerusalem every year, at three, time, three or four times a year for those festivals, thinking, man, I'm glad that we're actually here, that we get this privilege. We should have that same attitude as we gather. Because when we come to gather together every Sunday, week in and week out, we need to take, it, take the, the perspective and realize that this is not necessarily a right 
that we're given. It's not something that we should take for granted, but this is a privilege that we can gather together with God's people every week, week in and week out. And the way that we bring gladness into this gathering, the way that we bring gladness into this spot is that we take that for we take that um, seriously, that we realize we do not deserve to sit in these pews this morning. So what I mean by that is not necessarily these physical pews, but the idea that you're gathering together with God's people. At one point in your life, you were far from the Lord. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us were on the outside. All of us were in exile, far from the Lord. And if it had not been for God coming into our life and intervening and bringing us in, we would still be on the outside. So every time that we walk into these doors, that represents, in some sense, us gathering together, being brought near to God again. And that is a privilege. In a a day and age when rights and privileges are debated in politics and and those words are confused and applied all the time, they kind of lose their meaning. We need to have clarity on that. We don't have necessarily the right to boldly approach God's throne. That's not a right that humans have. That's a privilege that's been given to us by the blood of Jesus. So as we gather together, again, this being a representation of us being brought toward the Lord, it's a privilege that we get that. And it's only because of what Jesus has done for us that we can walk into his presence, not because of anything that we have done. And so when that's our attitude every morning, when we gather together to say, hey, this is a privilege. This isn't something that I get to do because it's a a right that's granted to me. This is a privilege that I receive. That changes things. When we think of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, verse 14, 15, 16, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace and receive mercy. Because of what Jesus has done, we can boldly approach God. We can come to him and, be draw, and draw near to him because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done on our behalf. So as we gather together each week, have that mindset, have that, have that perspective of saying, when you come in, you walk through the doors, you sit down, you look around and see a bunch of other people who love the Lord, just say, man, our feet have been standing here. We have been here. You've been able to gather with God's people week in, week out. And that's a privilege. And when you see that as a privilege, then you'll be able to take that in with gladness. You'll be able to take that in with gladness. So first we see that gladness comes from gathering God's people. Second, we see an identity comes from gathering with God's people. David speaks of Jerusalem here, and he says, we're gathered together in Jerusalem. And he refers to that city as a city bound firmly together. Most scholars see that as kind of having a double meaning, saying that, hey, Jerusalem is a tight city. It's physically a small city at this point. Um, would have had a would have been small enough to have an outer wall around it. It's a city built tightly together, but it's not just speaking about the city. It's talking about what makes a city important, which is the people. David's referring to this city, this people that is bound together, that's fastened together. This group of people who, who would have been united by this shared love for the Lord. 
and in that national identity. He also speaks of this being the city being the place where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed by the Lord. The 12 tribes of Israel uh, were the 12 sons of Jacob, and they all had these uh, allotments, these land allotments that they were given when they entered the promised land. Different places throughout the area you could even say different counties that the, that the Israelites had in that nation, but they would all gather together. All these tribes would come together for these religious ceremonies, these religious holidays. They all had their different identities and they were proud of those. There's songs throughout all the Old Testament singing of the different tribes and their identities and how important those tribes were. Yet, when they gathered together in Jerusalem... Their tribal identities took a back seat to their national identity as the people of Israel, God's chosen people. When they got together, they didn't gather just as separate tribes. They gathered together as one big tribe, one big family to worship. And I think this applies to us. I hope you can see how clearly that applies to us. As we gather, we all come from different backgrounds. Each and every single one of us has a different story as to how we got here. When I say here, meaning in relationship with the Lord, each of us has a different testimony. One of my favorite things that I do is get to hear people's testimonies as I listen to them, whether it's for membership interviews, whether it's for um, just getting to know somebody. I love to hear the testimony of how you got from point A to point B, how you went from being far from God to being brought near. We all have a different story there. Not only that, we all have different kind of little small tribal identities that we're a part of, right? There's a ton of things that you could look to your life and say, I am a blank, right? Whether that comes from your job, you could say, I am a teacher, I am a, 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 a leader, I am a um, whatever that might be. I, I build coaches, I am a police officer, whatever it is. We all have an identity that comes with our job. I am a blank. You have hobbies that you wish was your job a lot of times, right? Hobbies that you do, um, that you love. Maybe it's you, I am a, I am a cook. I, I love to cook. I am this or that. Maybe it's your politics. I am a Democrat. I am a Republican. I am an independent. I am something else. Maybe it's even your favorite sports team or your favorite preferences. I am a, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Maybe you're an Atlanta Braves fan. Maybe you're some kind of other fan. All of these different identities, these sub-identities that we come from. And a lot of times those things are given to us by the Lord, right? You've been put in your job, your position for a reason. You have the ideals that you have for a reason. Yet, even though we all come from these small little towns like the, the Israelites would, these, these places on the outskirts, when we come in, all those other smaller tribal identities should be set aside. And the, thing that, the identity that should trump everything is our national identity as being a Christian, it doesn't matter what color our skin is or our background or how much money we make. All of those things are set aside and we take on this identity of being God's people. Not worrying about where we come from, but worrying about where we are right now, which is in gathering with God's people. One way to think about it is this, is who you think you are determines what you do. Who you think you are determines what you do. When you see yourself as a member of the body of Christ, that determines the actions you take when you're gathered with that body of Christ. If you see yourself as part of somebody else, you're going to see uh, helping them out, um, gathering with them as important. 
One, one, one author writes, he's, he, he wrote a book called Atomic Habits, and he talks about um, changing people's actions, changing what you do or how you behave. He says one way to do it is to just focus on the actions. But another thing is this. He says the key to building lasting habits is focusing on creating a new identity first. Your current behaviors are simply a reflection of your current identity. What you do is a mirror image of the type of person you believe that you are, either consciously or subconsciously. So as we gather together with God's people, as I said, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's hard to to just make it here to the building. Sometimes that's hard to, once you get into the building, to get along with the people that are in the room. Let's be honest, that's sometimes hard. But we could say, hey, just get along and be unified. Or we could say, let's change our mindset to say, we are, I'm part of these people. These people are my family. This is what Jesus did with the Pharisees, right? That said, uh, you know, what's the greatest commandment to love, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself? And they said, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus changes the identity. He says, summarize it, everybody's your neighbor. When he tells that parable of, of the Good Samaritan, everybody's your neighbor. You see what he does? He changes the way you're perceiving the people around you, changing your identity. You're no longer just a stranger. You're this person's neighbor. Like you share the same lot of land, like they're butted up right, right against you. So your well-being is tied to their well-being. Change your identity. So when you see it hard to say, man, it's hard for me to keep going and gathering with those, that group of people up at the church. That's tough to gather with them sometimes. Let your identity change. Don't see them as someone that's separate from you. See them as someone who's a part of you. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. It'd be silly for a hand to think about the other hand. Oh man, that that dude's so annoying. Let's get rid of him, right? We don't do that. In the same way as the body of Christ, we have to see one another as our own physical body, as we are one body, one people. And we can see that that identity is one of the motivations to gather. And when we gather with people, notice, when you gather together with people and you're unified with people, there's a strength that comes along with that. David speaks of the city being bound together, firmly bound together. Uh, That speaks of strength and and security that comes along with that. So as Christians, as we walk through this life and we gather together each week, and we gather together as as a body of Christ, that makes going through life easier. It's a lot easier to lock arms and push forward with somebody else than to go it alone. As the Bible said, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. When people stick together, it's easier to be secure and to say it this way, to stay in the faith. There are times when you might want to say, hey, I want to check out and I'm done with this. But you got a brother in Christ who's holding, holding you around the neck saying, no, let's, let's press on. And then later on, those roles a lot of times flip-flop. And the other guy's like, hey, I want to quit. I'm done with this. But the other guy says, no, let's stay in. Let's press on. Having that, seeing yourself as a part of the body of Christ gives you that motivation to continually gather with God's people week in and week out. So we've seen there's a gladness that comes with gathering. There's an identity that comes with gathering. And there's also a purpose. So far, we've seen that getting together with God's people brings us gladness. Being together with God's people brings us a new identity and a unity that comes along. But these two things are not even the main reason why we gather. Those are just like the fringe benefits of why we gather. Why does this passage say that we gather together? 
Well, it says this. It says that our purpose, as you look in verse um, verse four, it says uh, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for the Lord, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. He says the purpose of our gathering, as these tribes, these 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 broken out tribes gather together, we're gathering together to give thanks to the Lord. What is thankfulness? This morning, when you said Happy Father's Day to your dad or to a man in your life, what are you doing? You're acknowledging the role they play. You're giving, you're, you're, you're acknowledging what they do and the role they play. That's what thankfulness is. When you thank somebody, you're saying, hey, I've seen what you've done for me, and there's an appreciation that I have based on what you've done. And that's what we do as we gather together. We're giving thanks to the Lord. We're acknowledging what he does. So when we sing songs about Jesus dying on the cross, and when we give during the offering to say, like, Lord, you've given me so much, I want to give back to you. When we pray to God to go to him to say, Lord, help me in this situation. When we read his word, when we stand and honor his word, when we listen to his word preached, all of that is us saying, God, we see what you do for us and thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for doing that. We're gathering together to say thank you for that. And then not only do we continue, continue this attitude of thanks week in, week out, we also see that David mentions thrones. He mentions thrones in verse 5. He says, there in Jerusalem, the thrones for judgment were set and the thrones of the house of David. This is a little bit of a weird passage to interpret and kind of understand what David's really meaning there because um, some of those phrases aren't really used much in the rest of the Bible. But the idea, I think, is this, that when it says a throne that's set for judgment, a, a, a throne that's supposed to dispense truth and make right statements and convey truth to the people around it. And also the thrones of David, speaking of the idea that David is God's chosen one at this point and that he's pointing forward to um, this royal family that's going to continue that's going to eventually bring the Messiah because David was promised there's going to be someone on your throne forever. We know that's speaking of Jesus. So I believe the idea of this is that God's people, as they gather together, they represent this place where truth and justice and meaning are found. So as we gather together each week, what are we doing? We're gathering together and we're saying thank you over and over and over. And we're also speaking truth over and over and over, dispensing truth and justice into the world. We do that continually. So when we gather together, it's not just that we would be super happy and pumped with gladness. That's a great thing. It's not just that we would be together as a family, but we're together as a family going in a direction. We're doing something when we do this. We are perpetuating the praise of God in history. Our church perpetuates the praise of God through history. And we continually give out his truth, his judgments to the world in love. Is anybody a fan of the Olympics? I'm, I'm a big fan of the Olympics. The first Olympics I remember was 96. I loved it and I fell in love with it and I watched it every year that I can. Uh, I love it. And one of the coolest parts about the Olympics is the Olympic torch, right? It's this torch that's carried um, from one place to, to the, the opening ceremonies and that eternal flame of competition is lit. Well, that first torch, the first time that was done um, was uh, when it went from um, 
Olympia to Berlin back in the 30s, and it traveled over 3,187 kilometers, which means nothing to you Americans. That's 1,980 miles. And it was carried by 3,331 runners over 12 days and 11 nights to go from Olympia to Berlin. And then other years, it, was traveled, it traveled by boat from places across the English Channel one year. Other times, it was flown by plane um, to Helsinki. The purpose was, hey, we've been given this eternal flame. Let's not let it burn out. Let's, let's make sure that it continues to burn from now until it gets to where it's supposed to be. And I think that's, a, that's kind of a picture of what David's getting at in this. God has brought us together. God has created the church through Christ. And he's given this, this eternal flame of worship that we're supposed to perpetuate. To, to continue on day in, day out, week in, week out. So every time we gather together, it's kind of like throwing more gas on the flame to make sure that fire continues to burn. So when you gather in each week, and sometimes you're going to think, man... It's tough. I stayed up late last night. It's hard for me to get up this morning. Or you're thinking, man, I've had such a busy day. If I could just have this one day of rest where I could just relax a little bit, realize that, hey, there's not just benefits to to gather with God's people. There's also responsibilities there as well. When we gather together on these mornings and we join our voices together and sing of his praises, And when we listen to his word, when we gather together collectively to listen to his word, we're perpetuating his praise throughout history. We're continuing on this amazing thing that's been given to us that we get to pass to the next generation. There's meaning and purpose that happens on this morning. Now, there's going to be mornings where you walk in and you don't feel that. Like it's hard for you to sing. It's hard for you to hear God's word. But even when you gather together, you make that intention to gather together, you're continuing to perpetuate that praise throughout history. And speaking of that responsibility, that brings us to our last point. We gather together in gladness. We gather together in unity. We gather together for a purpose. And we also have this responsibility of gathering or praying for our gathering. Number four, praying for our gathering. David finishes the psalm by praying for peace in Jerusalem. Because David saw the protection of Jerusalem was tied to the continuation of the worship of God. David said in his heart, if Jerusalem falls, then the worship of God stops. And that was not a possibility for him. So what is he doing? He's praying for the protection of Jerusalem. He prayed for the security of the city. He prayed this for the sake of his brothers and sisters and for the sake of the house of the Lord. He prayed for the gathering. He prayed for that place where they gathered so that they would be able to continue to gather together. And I think we should do the same for us as a church. We need to pray for our church, the place where we gather together. Again, I don't mean this physical physical building. I mean just the gathering of us together, our being covenanted together, our being united together. We need to pray for peace within these walls. We need to pray for peace for us. Jesus has established peace by his blood, but what do we do to maintain it? What can you do each day, each week to maintain it? You can ask that question of yourself. What can I do to bring peace to this community? And what can I do to bring goodness to this community, to this group of people that we gather together, that we're covenanted together with? Well, I think one of the obvious ways that we can do that is pray for it. Pray for our church. Do you pray for our church? 
Not just the individuals of our church, but do you pray for our church? Do you do that week in and week out? Is that something that's on a list for you? Do you do that intentionally? Is that something that comes to your mind? Also, another thing that we can do to, to extend the goodness of this place and to make sure there's peace in this place is come in with a humble heart every time, realizing that it's not all about me. It's not all about what I can get, but about what we can do for the Lord together. So as we close this morning, just a few final applications that we can have. Remember, these psalms are psalms of ascent that we sing as we travel to the gathering of the Lord. So I think maybe we can challenge each other to start a new habit. I challenge you to start this new habit this week. Maybe when you get in your car to come to church, maybe that's a good time to pray. Just to form that habit of every time I get in the car for church, I'm going to pray for our church. Pray that God would give you gladness as you come to worship. Pray that God would give us unity and purpose as we gather. And pray that God would give us peace as the body of Christ. So that as we exist in this place, in this town of commerce, as we gather together week in, week out, we might proclaim the goodness of God until he returns. Let's pray.